0: Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's word. Good morning, church family. Feels like a summer Sunday, doesn't it? It's like 30 degrees outside. Probably most of us have had too much sun already this weekend. We've got a lot of our church family who are away traveling, on vacation. We have some visitors here with us this morning. How's summer going for you? Is it good? Oh, that's good. That's very good. I enjoy summer. Summer is my season. All those people who put their hand up for snow, they, they can leave right now. I like that. Um, We had encouraged you this past week, our newsletter goes out on Thursday and then we had a social media post as well, goes out on Monday, to encourage you with what scripture to be reading to prepare for Sunday. Because the time that I get to preach, 30 minutes to an hour whatever the time frame ends up being and the amount of stuff that we have going on in the service, it's not enough. I hope you know it's not enough to base your understanding of scripture upon. I'm not that good, it's not enough time, and once a week is not frequent enough to be in the word of God. Can I say amen to that? So we put out this reading reminder to help you prepare, read on your own the scripture that will be preached on on Sunday. And then we're trying this thing this summer that we have typically done with our life groups is to put out discussion questions with the sermon that was just preached so that you can continue the conversation after the sermon has been preached. Because goodness knows I'm not going to go down all the rabbit trails and answer all the questions that you may have about the scripture that we're speaking on today. Does that make sense? Because my mind probably thinks differently than your mind. And your creativity is probably at a different level than the person next to you. And you've been through some experiences in life that probably the other people in the room may have not necessarily been through specifically the same or to that degree. So you're gonna have some questions and some applications and some thoughts about the scripture that we're gonna talk about today that are pretty specific to you, your life stage, your experience, your family, the way you were raised, what you've been through, where you're going, your hopes and dreams, your occupation, the people that influence you. So I really hope you will take the time, you'll spend some time in prayer, in thought, in discussion, reading God's word, so that the Holy Spirit has room to apply this scripture to your life. That's my prayer for you today. And when I get the chance to craft a sermon, I'm often thinking about where people are coming from. And however many faces are in the room right now, I don't know what we have, 100, 120 people in the room with the journey kids and the leaders out there. There's probably 100, 120 different perspectives coming in this morning, different weeks had. Maybe you're on a high, maybe you're on a low, maybe you've had sun and you're wishing for snow. (laughs) Those would make good song lyrics, wouldn't they? So I wanna appreciate where you're coming from today. And I really hope that as we look at some more of my favorite characters in the Bible, that you can really resonate with their life experience and what they've been through. Maybe the Holy Spirit would bring to mind and bring to the surface some clear applications for you today, some things to challenge you with or encourage you with today. That's my prayer. So in that reading reminder that we had sent out, that's where I started on that tangent. Uh, we encourage you to read Judges chapter one to chapter three. Did you get to read that? Okay, a few people, awesome. This was the first message that I've ever preached at Faith Baptist Church was Judges chapter one to chapter three, way back 2019. So that's, uh, that will be four years ago in two weeks, that'll be four years ago, when I preached this passage here at this church for the first time. So, oh, Peggy's going to catch me. I just That's what I did. I just printed my notes, and I'm going to preach them again and see who catches it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so the title for our summer preaching series is Some of Our Favorite Characters, in the Bible, so I hope you'll forgive me, I'm gonna speak about two guys today, because I couldn't choose. At first I thought I made the decision, then I realized how much influence this other character had on this character's life. So we really need to go back in the story and talk about this character first. And we're talking about an elderly uncle and his young nephew, like a mentor and a protege. It's not Paul and Timothy, it's not Elijah and Elisha. Anybody know who it is? It's Caleb and Othniel. There's a name for you. If anybody out there is looking for a name, my sister-in-law is in the hospital right now giving birth to who I will believe will be my beautiful niece. They don't know the gender yet, but I'm, I'm telling her it's going to be my niece. And I picked out a name for her. We'll see if she picks the same name. But if it were to be a boy, Othniel would be a great name, wouldn't it? Othniel, if that's how you pronounce it. We're talking about an old uncle and a young nephew. Do you remember what it's like to be young? Do you know? Just look around the room for a moment. Do you realize everybody in this room was young once? I remember growing up, In the church, on Sundays, I would look over from where my family sat, right up front here, because I was the pastor's son, I had to sit in the front row with a shirt and a tie on. And over here was an older couple named Carl and Irma. Beautiful couple. And in my mind, they were old. Like, they were the oldest couple in the church. And I would often look over and just think, like, they're old. And I remember when I got to sit in their living room and hear the stories of their life experience and see the pictures of this young, attractive, physically fit couple who were Carl and Irma back in the day. And to see him standing in front of the gas station in Truro that he owned and operated. And it brings a new perspective to your mind. Whoa, 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 these aren't just old people. They've lived a lot of life and had a lot of experience. I was sitting with my grandmother this past week and I've told you a little bit about my great-grandfather, a big lobster fisherman from the North Shore. She told me a story and I had to do a double take. I said, are you talking about Grampy? He bought a cargo van when he was younger and he transformed the back of the cargo van into a camper van. I thought this was a new trendy thing that people were doing. They'd take a Ford Transit, change it into a camper van, and then travel across North America. I thought that was a new thing. My grandfather did it like way back in the 50s. or some buggy. Horse and buggy. <laughs> Can you imagine? And it brought a new level of appreciation for my great-grandfather in my mind thinking, wow, he's done some stuff in his life. One thing we've tried to make clear, and we've talked a lot about this, this spring as we've talked through discipleship, is that Christianity is all about relationship. First and foremost, it's a personal relationship with God the Father through his son, Jesus Christ. By the power of the Holy Spirit, because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and faith in him, we can have a relationship with God. We were designed for relationship. Being a disciple is following Jesus, having an intimate, close, personal relationship with him. But then Christianity and being part of the church family is just that. It's a family. It's all about relationship. Did you see little Lydia and Evelyn walk in here this morning? And they're looking up and down the rows. What were they looking for? They were looking for their friends. Who are we going to sit with? And they traveled up here and then saw their friends and sat with their friends. Because Christianity is all about relationship. Now here's the big point I want to make today. Christianity is all about relationship. The older generation has experienced so much in life. Somehow we need to connect those dots. We need to connect relationship intergenerationally. Do you know what I'm saying? Like we can't have all these silo ministries. Kids, you go over here. Youth, you go over here. Young adults, you go over here on Saturday night, that's your thing. Uh, Adults, we do this Sunday thing. Senior citizens, you have this thing over here. Ah, some of that's good, there's pros and cons, but there needs to be a time when we come together as the generations So that we can share all of this generational information. These stories of old that aren't really all that old and distant and non-applicable. We need to learn, appreciate what previous generations have gone through. I think of Paul's words to Timothy. The older men teach the younger. The older women teach the younger. And here we're looking at Caleb, an older man, and Othniel, his nephew, who is like his protege. All right, let's get into the storyline here. Caleb, who was he? He's one of the Hebrew slaves who was freed from Egypt, crossed the Red Sea on dry land. He experienced all those 10 plagues, the Passover, the lamb. They traveled through the wilderness and it actually didn't take 40 years. They actually traveled through the wilderness and arrived at the edge of the promised land in relatively good time. Did you know that? You knew that already, okay, good. I thought that might've been a gasp moment for some people. You know, you can make that trip in 11 days by foot, apparently, they traveled through the wilderness, arrived at the edge of the promised land, and then they sent in these 12 spies. A couple of weeks ago, Steve talked about Rahab and the scarlet cord of grace. Remember that message? They, sp- they sent spies in. Those were the spies who they sent into Jericho, the start of the book of Joshua and the conquest of the promised land. This is like 40 years earlier. They send 12 spies, one from each tribe, and Caleb is representing the tribe of Judah. Look at Numbers chapter 13, verse 25. We're going to jump all over the place today. Scripture is going to be on screen Uh, We like to preach out of the English Standard Version because it's readable and it's very true to the original texts. So if you want to participate on screen or try and follow along your copy of the scriptures, you're welcome to do so. We're going to start in Numbers 13, verse 25. At the end of 40 days, they, the 12 spies, returned from spying out the land. They came to Moses and Aaron, to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. When I was a kid in Sunday school, they used to have this flannel graph, two guys carrying a stick with like these massive giant grapes. I don't know if it was a cluster of grapes, but it came from the Valley of Eshcol, which is known for grapes. And Eshcol means clusters, So it could have been a cluster of grapes. I just picture that on the flannel graph. I think his head didn't stick quite as well as it should have. So it was like folded down. I can still see it. Remember hearing this story. It's a good one. Brought back the fruit of the land. Verse 27. They told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. This is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong. Their cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Do you know who the descendants of Anak are? They're giants, giants. They were afraid. Too big, too strong, too fortified, too giant. Do your problems in life ever feel like that? There's a statistic, I should have found it, but it's just coming to mind that over 90% of what you fear never actually happens in reality our problems become so much bigger in our mind than they actually are in reality. And we can see it in this story. The descendants of Anak are there. They're giants. Here's what's interesting. Not too far in the rearview mirror is Egypt and Pharaoh and hundreds of chariots and horsemen. And one of the greatest civilizations that ever lived that chased them to the Red Sea and God parts the Red Sea and they walk through on dry ground. Now they're looking ahead at another group of people and saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. Egypt's one thing, apparently. This group of people, they've got giants and fortified cities and they're too big and they're too strong. We can't go any further. How did they lose sight of God's faithfulness in Egypt over here as they're looking at the next problem to come their way? Look at verse 30. Numbers chapter 13 and verse 30. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses. So here's the picture. The spies have come. Moses is here. All the multitude of people. But they're just talking to Moses right now before they announce to the people. They're giving the report to Moses. So Caleb quiets the people before Moses and says, Let's go up at once and occupy it. For we are well able to overcome it. There's some faith isn't it? Let's go. What are we waiting for? Caleb's like 40 years old. He's probably at the prime of his life. Maybe a little inexperienced, maybe a little naive when it comes to war. But you've got to remember, all he knows is what God did in Egypt and the freedom he's had from slavery, how God parted the Red Sea. The last thing he saw were those 10 plagues and the sea open up. He believes that this is God. God can do it again, he did it once, he'll do it again. All he knows is the same God who freed them from Egypt is the God who's leading them now, and he's ready to go, and he's trying to inspire faith and courage in the people. Verse 31, then the men who had gone up with him said, we're not able to go up against these people for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report. All of a sudden the problem got that much worse bad report of the land they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone to spy it out, it's a land that devours its inhabitants. I don't know if he meant that symbolically or literally, like he was trying to scare the people, that if you walk across that border, the ground's gonna open up and swallow you whole. It devours its inhabitants. All the people that we saw in it are of great height. There we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came from the Nephilim, giants, And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. Do you see these little seeds of doubt and fear that they're putting out there for the people because they're not willing to risk it? You ever been in a room of no-nos and tried to cast some vision? Hey, guys, we can do this. Let's go. Now's the time. No. Oh, come on. God's done it before. God can do it again. Don't you believe for this? No. I fear sometimes that we can be the wet blanket to the spirit and the passion of the younger generation. Do you ever do that? I find I do that a lot with my son and I kick myself for it all the time. I do it in an effort to keep him from making the same mistakes I made, right? I like, go, oh, no, you don't, you don't want to shovel with a steel shovel at the beach in your bare feet. That's what we were doing this weekend because see that scar right there? That's what happens instead of like, letting them make their own mistake and learning as they go? Oh no, we've tried that. We've been there, done that. Got the scar, got the t-shirt to prove it. You don't, you don't want to make that mistake. Oh no, we tried that ministry, it doesn't work. No, 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 doing that with young adults in this area, that won't reach them, we've tried that before. You ever had conversations like that? Do you remember what it was like to be a young person and have older people say that to you? It kind of crushes the spirit of faith that maybe God is trying to build within you. Oh no, that, that won't work here. We've tried that before. Listen, listen, learn from our experience. Don't make the mistakes we made. What we're really saying is play it safe. No, 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 if you, if you don't go down this road, this road, this road, this road, you really don't need faith. Because <laughs> you'll never bump into a mistake. We're trying to protect the next generation. But in an effort of protecting them, we're not letting them experience the faithfulness of God for themselves. It becomes an old black and white photo book that they flip through and think, wow, the good old days, cool. Now I have to live this cushy bubble wrap life Because you got to go out and experience the world and now I'm suffering the consequences. (laughs) How do we inspire faith in the next generation? Let's go up and take the land now. Nah, too big, too strong, too fortified, too giant. We can't do it. Let's just cut our losses. What do you think the people thought that meant? They traveled across the wilderness. They got to the land that God was promising them. They sent the spies in. What do you think it meant to say, no, we can't do this? Like, like, what's the alternative? Like, if you're the leader there and the people bring back this report and then you've got this big mutiny on your hands, well, let's talk about the options here, right? Isn't that a good leadership move? What are the options? We either take the promised land or, like, what's the other option? Yeah. Back to Egypt, that's what the people thought. Numbers 14, verse 1. All the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night. (laughs) All the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron because they're the leaders, so obviously it's their fault. Point the finger at them. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt or that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey wouldn't it be better to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let's choose a leader and let's go back to Egypt. We're pretty, good, we're pretty quick to look back at the good old days with some rose-colored glasses on, aren't we? And I don't know what kind of shades we put on to look to the future. But what's so good about the good old days? Isn't it familiarity? We live through them. The people we know and love are back there in the good old days. The experiences that we knew and loved are back there in the good old days. It's familiarity. And what's not in the future? Well, nothing's familiar in the future because we haven't lived there yet. We haven't familiarized ourselves with it yet. So what we love about the good old days is what we fear about the future. So let's just go back to Egypt. Wasn't Egypt 400 years of slavery? Verse five, Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. Joshua, the son of Nun, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, they tore their clothes. Same thing Josiah did last week when he found the book of the law. They said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, He will bring us to this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Now, what did they not say? They never tried to say, hey, come on, like cowboy up. We're strong. We can take these guys. They didn't say anything about how strong the people were. They put all the attention on God. If God finds favor with us, if God goes with us, that's how we secure the victory. Isn't that Joshua 1.9? Be strong and courageous. Why? Why? because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That's the message that young Joshua and young Caleb are giving to the rest of the people. Verse 9, don't rebel against the Lord. Don't fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Don't fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones, but the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. Can you see this picture? They're getting ready to stone Joshua and Caleb and Moses and Aaron. And then all of a sudden the tent of meeting just lights up. God's presence is there and he has a message for the people. So they're like, all right, set your stones down. We'll pick this up after this intermission. We'll see what God has to say and then we'll come back and we'll stone the leaders of Israel. Verse 22, here's God's promise to Moses. Moses intercedes for the people. God is expressing his righteous anger against the people for their lack of faith, lack of trust. And then here's God's promise. Verse 22 of Numbers 14. None of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these 10 times. How many spies brought a bad report? 10. Two brought a good report, right? They put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice. Yet see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. None of those who despised me shall see it, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully. I will bring into the land into which he went and his descendants shall possess it. Isn't that beautiful? Caleb and Joshua were the only ones who believed God to be bigger than the enemy. So they'd be the only ones from that generation to be able to inherit the promised land because of their faith in God. The only ones to personally experience being freed from Egypt and then also taking hold of the promised land. Nobody else from that generation would be able to to possess the promised land. It's really a picture of not following the crowd, right? Like you see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refusing to bow to the statue and then they're thrown in the fiery furnace. Here's Caleb and Joshua, Moses and Aaron, before the people, bowed down. People are ready to stone them because they want to go back to Egypt. And God says, I'm going to spare Caleb and Joshua and they're going to get to take hold of the promised land. Two out of 12, it's definitely not a majority. Two against ten. But Jesus said faith the size of a mustard seed could move a mountain. God's truth will trump popular opinion, no matter how popular it is. Being faithful to God is the only way to live. And time is the ultimate test of a promise, isn't it? Toward the end of the book of Numbers, a lot of time has passed. Moses recounts this story as a new generation is rising up. The new generation wants to do the same thing their fathers did. They want to shy away from claiming the promised land. This same generational struggle is repeating itself. So Moses calls them on it, and he tells them what's going to happen if they fail to trust God. Numbers 32 in verse 13, the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel. He made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was gone. You know, there's a reason why we can only remember the names of two of the 12 spies. It's because the other 10 decided that the enemy was bigger than their God. There was no point in claiming the victory, claiming the land, They failed to believe the faithfulness of their gods, so they died in the wilderness. You probably don't remember their names unless you go back and read them. Isn't that a picture of the consequences of sin that we talked about last week? Here's God bringing them all the way to the edge of the promised land. And he's pointing over that border and he's saying, that land is yours if you claim the victory through me, because I'm going with you. Will you trust my promise? Will you put your faith in my promise for the victory? God brought the people all the way across the wilderness, right to the point of entering the promised land, and then they failed to do so. I just think of the good news of Jesus Christ and how far God came to present us with the opportunity to enter the promised land spiritually, to enter the family of God, to enter the kingdom of God by placing our faith and trust in God through Jesus Christ. God did it all, didn't he? Didn't he send his son from heaven to earth? Didn't Jesus live a perfectly sinless life those 33 years? And then he gave his life on the cross of Calvary. And then through circumstances of history, you're here at this point, where God has brought you to the edge of decision so that you can respond in faith to the promise of God in his son, Jesus Christ, and enter the kingdom of God. Isn't that the picture we get here? God brought them all the way. And when they saw that final step and what it might cost them, what they might have to sacrifice to enter the promised land, it was too much. And they said, let's go back to the world. Joshua chapter 14 and verse 6. I love these Old Testament stories. We can jump around and we can see the timeline of the person's life. We can jump to the end of the story and find out what happens. Joshua's leading conquest of the promised land 40 years later. A generation has died off. We heard about Jericho. Then there's the city of Ai. City after city being claimed for God's people. The conquest is pretty much over, but Caleb is not done yet. There's still one place, one people group that has haunted his nightmares to this day. Joshua chapter 14 and verse 6. Then the people of Judah, remember Caleb's from the tribe of Judah, he was the spy representing the tribe of Judah to go into the promised land. The people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal. Do you remember where Gilgal was? Steve spoke about it two weeks ago, where the people encamped before entering the promised land. They set up the stones. Gilgal literally means circle of stones, the 12 stones, the 12 tribes. It was a picture of God's faithfulness with his people. Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kinezite said to him, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me. I was forty years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers, he's recounting this whole story of the spies returning, they went up with me. They made the heart of the people melt. Yet I fully, wholly followed the Lord my God. Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot is trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. Isn't that what we want to be able to say? I followed the Lord my God. I wholly followed the Lord my God. Not just 95% of the way to the border and then I refused to step over the line that he was encouraging me to do with faith in his promises, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. Every step, even to the bitter end, I wholly followed the Lord my God. In verse 10, Caleb is is continuing to recount this story in front of Joshua because it's it's haunted his memory for years. Now behold, the Lord has kept me alive just as he said these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. Doesn't that sound like an old man story? I remember shaking the hand of my great-grandfather, a big lobster fisherman, and he still had so much grip strength in his 90s, he could crush my little teenage hand, this big man. I haven't lost any of my strength for war, for going, for coming. Verse 12. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. What day? When the spies returned, when they brought the bad report. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there, the giants, with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord had said. Joshua blessed him. He gave him Hebron to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb to this day because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, the name of Hebron, get this, formerly was Kiriath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim and the land had rest from war. So what does Caleb do? Caleb picks out The biggest giant, and that poor guy's not alive anymore, so he has a city built in his honor, Kiriath Arba, the city of the greatest giant. Caleb says, 45 years ago, we refused to step over the line because of those giants and those fortified cities. Now it's 45 years later, I'm 85 years old. God has kept his promise to me, so I'm going to keep my promise, and he takes out the city built in honor of the largest giant in the land. The giants that caused the people's hearts to melt, this 85-year-old white-haired dude goes out and takes the largest city dedicated to the largest giant. You know, David and Goliath, that story hasn't happened yet, right? So it's Caleb versus the giant, this old white-haired man who pursues God's faithfulness and takes out the key city of the giants. I just think that's so incredible. Caleb followed God. You know what Caleb Caleb's name means? It means dog. Which is kind of funny, right? Dog dog is kind of an insult through scripture. Like, even culturally in Jesus' day, they, they talked about the Samaritans and the crumbs that fell off the table, like the dogs lapped them up. But what are dogs known for? Loyalness. Loyalty. Another term for that is faithfulness. I think of Chance in Homeward Bound, that old golden retriever. you seen that movie? He just wants to get home to his boy. What was his boy's name? Jesse? I couldn't remember. He wants to get home to his boy because Dog is man's best friend, a loyal, faithful companion. Here's this picture of Caleb, who's named Dog, who's the faithful follower of God. And I wanted to make a joke about old dogs and new tricks, but... He didn't really know any new tricks. He kept giving the same line his whole life as recorded in scripture. He wholly followed the Lord his God. Let's go because God is with us. 45 years later, he says, I'm going to go because God is with me. I just think that's beautiful. I wonder what Caleb thought of retirement. I wonder if Joshua said like, Caleb, you're 85, and I know you say you're as strong as you were back then, but, you know, maybe it's the medication talking. <laughs> you probably shouldn't be doing that stuff you were when we were young men at the age of 40. God gave me the strength of my old age. I'm going to use it. But then there's this clear point. Maybe Caleb realized he was getting older. Maybe he realized, more importantly, who is the next generation that's coming after me that's going to follow me? And so he issues this challenge. It's kind of like a Robin Hood and Miriam scenario. And here's what he says, Judges chapter 1 and verse 12. Caleb said, he who attacks Kiriath Sefer, the city of Numbers, captures it. I will give him Aksha, my daughter, for a wife. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, captured it, and he gave him Aksha, his daughter, for a wife. Now, we might not share the same marital arrangement traditions as the ancient Israelites today, but the principle remains, doesn't it? Caleb provided opportunity and challenge and struggle for the next generation. He didn't just ask them to follow. He pushed them to lead. He didn't say, hey, Othniel, here's how it's done. Watch a veteran. Here's how we did it back in my day. We didn't have any of this fang dangled new technology equipment. We had to hammer the nail with an actual hammer. Let me show you how it's done. No, he stood back and he said, I need somebody to step up to the plate and take out this city. Who's it going to be? And Othniel stepped up and defeated the city. There comes a point where we have to call the younger generation up, no matter how strong we feel, no matter how many more years of ministry we feel we have left. There comes a point where we need to call the younger generation up. We have to invite them into responsibility, equip them, encourage them into challenges. We have to let them experience struggle instead of trying to protect them from it. You know, you, you listen to people who study generations and history and sociology, and there's this picture of the immigrants who came over from Europe, and they had to build a life for themselves and live in those sod shanties through the cold winter, and then the next generation, the Industrial Revolution, and then this, this big uptake of economic prowess, and Now we have money and we have affluence because we want to provide a better life for those who come after us. But the ones who came after us, well, they didn't have to fight for what they had. Now minimum wage is what? And there are so many opportunities out there. And the elements of struggle that we face today compared to what they faced in former generations... I know it's not, it's not an easy comparison, but if we don't let generations struggle and fight and step up to the plate and take some challenge, they're not going to be able to appreciate what they have as the ones who did fight for what they had. Here's an example. This facility right here, this building, this structure, I don't appreciate this building, The way that the people who sacrifice their time, talents, and ability appreciate this building. I wasn't up on these rafters. (laughs) I didn't help hang the steel roof. I was in middle school in Ontario. I knew nothing of this the generation who sacrificed to make this facility happen, to provide more space so that more people could hear the life-changing message of the gospel, they will appreciate this structure more than the generation who didn't sacrifice to make it happen. In fact, you know what? More often than not, I come in here and I take this place for granted because it wasn't my money that built this place. It wasn't my talent or ability or my tools or my time. It was the generation that went before me. You see, we appreciate things so much more when we've spent some time and effort and we have some blood and sweat in the game. And that's what Caleb provided for Othniel. Othniel had a chance to fight for the promised land because Caleb invited him into the fight instead of protecting him from it. Let me give you the rest of the story Joshua is dead, Caleb's likely gone. Judges chapter 2 and verse 10. All the generations also were gathered to their fathers. There arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. This is how the book of Judges starts out. And the picture I like to give is as if you're flushing a toilet. It's just a downward spiral from this point on. It just gets worse and worse and worse. And here's the beautiful thing about Judges. Every time the people make a poor choice, turn from God, do what's right in their own eyes, that's key language in the book of Judges. Every time they go further down, get themselves stuck in oppression, God hears their cries. God knows where they are. When the people cry out for grace and mercy and for forgiveness and freedom, God responds in loving kindness. And he sends a judge, a deliverer. A rescuer. Every time the people cry out in oppression and slavery, God responds in love by sending a judge. Somebody to provide temporary freedom, politically and religiously, for the people. Isn't that a beautiful picture of Jesus? Isn't that a picture of the whole redemptive story of Scripture? That all we like sheep have gone astray? But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He is our rescuer. He's our deliverer. Not just temporary freedom, but eternal salvation, forgiveness, freedom from sin. It's a picture of Jesus is what these judges are. Judges chapter three. The Israelites turn from God. This is the first time down their downward spiral in the book of Judges. They served false gods. They became slaves to the king of Mesopotamia for eight years. So God needs to raise a judge. And this is our very first judge. Judges chapter 3 and verse 9. Last scripture I'm going to read for today. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer, the first judge. The people of Israel, for the people of Israel who saved them. Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, the spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord gave cushan Rashathim, king of Mesopotamia, to his hands, and he prevailed. So the Lord, so the land had rest for forty years, and then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. You know, I don't want to get caught up speculating about ages and stages, but. Moses was 40 when he ran away from Egypt. He was 80 when he returned. 40 years in the wilderness, he died at 120. 40, 40, 40. 40 is the number of testing. Caleb is 40 when he goes in as a spy. And then he's 85. It's been 45 years. 85 when he calls Othniel up to the plate. Othniel is the first judge and he delivers the land and there's freedom and rest in the land for 40 years, the number of testing. The first judge was mentored by an old man who passed his faithfulness onto the next generation. You know, we need to stop asking where are all the young adults at? Why do 50% of teens walk away from the church in their college years. Back in my day, that never would have been acceptable. Things like this. If we don't ever give kids the opportunity to step out for God, if we don't give teens the opportunity to step up for God, why do we think they're going to reach some magical age where something's going to click in their brain and they're going to spontaneously want to follow God? Let's give them opportunities now. We can't can't wait for the younger generation to step up. We need to call them up and give them opportunity. We don't want to lose the experience and the stories of God's faithfulness as held in the hands and the minds and the hearts and the memories of the older generation without first passing them on to the younger generation and giving them opportunity to step up. All right, I'm going to close. And I said last week, closing a sermon is like the hardest thing for me on a Sunday. So what we're going to do this summer is we're going to put some discussion questions on the screen. And this isn't necessarily meant for you to sit and discuss right here, right now. But we want, to take, we want you to take them into your life group, into your quiet time this week, uh, into the coffee meeting with a friend where you can discuss these questions over a good cup. Uh, Would you take a picture? Would you check them out on social media? Would you look for them in your faith newsletter that comes to your inbox 12 o'clock every Thursday? We want you to take this conversation further. What generational strongholds is God calling you to break? That's the one that stuck out to me. How many times do we put that same wet blanket on the next generation saying it's not possible, we've tried it, it can't work? I want to encourage you. Can we spend some time thinking about this week and consider who the next generation is that we're calling up to the plate, that we're challenging, that we're giving opportunity to? Would you stand with me as we close in prayer today? Let's pray. God, I want to thank you so much for all that you are, for all that you've done for us. And God, as we said at the start of the sermon time, we've all been through so many experiences and so much life. We've seen you work in many ways. God, would it not end with us? Would we tell the stories? Would we give testimony to your faithfulness? And God, would you use those stories of what you've done in our lives, of what you've done through scripture, through these characters in the Bible, to inspire other people to step up and to claim your promises and to rest and rely on your promises, leaning on the everlasting arms, God, that's when we're strongest, is when we're claiming your promises and we're going in faith. God, help the problems not to be bigger than our view of who you are. God, I pray you'd give us such a grand view of who you are and what you're capable of that no matter what stands in our way, we would know that you are greater and your promises hold true. You will be faithful because you were faithful in Egypt. You were faithful in the promised land. And every time the people cried out in their oppression, You sent the rescuer. God, thank you that you sent Jesus Christ as our ultimate rescuer to save us from the punishment, the penalty, the slavery, the bondage of sin. God, thank you for that gift. God, we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.